welcome back to Deciding Lab, where we give you an insight into the world of motorcycle racing. We are joined today by a very special guest as a part of our Behind the Bike series. Stephen, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, my name's Stephen Bradley and I work for the Mark VDS Moto2 team. Great. So was working in motorcycle racing always a dream of yours? Yeah, motorcycles have always been a, a big passion for me. It's always been a big part of my life. Um, anything to do with two wheels, really. So anything from cycling to, to motorcycles. So yeah, it was. it's always been a big part of my life all growing up. So it was kind of inevitable that it would probably be uh, one of the big parts of my life and become a career. So yeah. Do you ride yourself? Um, I haven't ridden motorcycles on the road for maybe... Probably the last time I think I had a motorcycle on the road was when I worked for the the SMR team, the World Superbike team, um, because they were based down the road from me here. Um, and that was in 2017. So no, not for six years now. No. So going into your job, um, was there something specific you had to study or did you have to do an apprenticeship to become a mechanic? Um, for me, the, the, the path that I took was I left school and I went to a technical college to learn um mechanical studies engineering um uh, anything like that um so i spent four years at technical college while i was in place in a in a company training uh, anything to do with motor vehicles and mechanics so that was my path into kind of uh the the kind of the background behind it and the study behind it um and then i was fortunate enough to get a, a position in a, a race team in the British Championship, and it kind of rolled on from there. How did you get that position in a racing team? Because I imagine being a mechanic for, for example, in a garage for road bikes is very different than working in a championship. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, the, the way I got into it was, I don't know if it's unique, but I, 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 I was part of a motorcycle racing club called the Derby Phoenix. Um, basically through my my father was was a the start line marshal in the club and and I grew up from a very young boy in the club and used to go out each weekend um and got to know various people and I knew one guy um called Phil Giles who was racing in the British Superbikes when I was this is when I was later on in life about 2021 I think and I'd left I left college and I, I saw him at one of the race meetings at British Superbikes and he asked me if I wanted to come and help him. And that's kind of where my introduction into the, the racing thing came came about. I went to help Phil um, in the British Superbike Championship and then from there got other teams and kind of progressed through to, to the World Championship that way. So from from kind of all levels that you've that you've worked at, what are the what are the tasks and what are the kind of requirements you have to do daily? For me personally, a race a racetrack. Is yeah. that what you, yeah. yeah. Um, well, starting from day one when we get there, kind of unloading the truck, setting the, the, the garage box up. Um, and so everything that you see on the TV, basically we build that inside an empty an empty box, basically. Um, so the first day is, is preparing the box and setting that up. And then you start to strip the bike from the previous race, um, completely strip it down, uh, clean, check everything rebuild it with the settings that the crew chief will give you for the, that weekend to start on um, and then the, the bike's finished and then you go into Friday morning free practice. 
And on race day itself, how does your daily like routine look like on there? I imagine it's probably quite busy and hectic. I, it's it, it used to be busy. It's not as busy anymore with the new format. Now we don't have a morning warm-up anymore. So before we'd usually get to the racetrack, start the bike, make sure everything's working on the bike okay, do morning warm-up, come back in, prep the bike again, ready for the race and, and go from there. But now everything's changed this year where we don't have the morning warm-up. Um, we just have the race basically on a Sunday. So from qualifying, the bike's prepped on a Saturday night then from qualifying and then just make sure it's running okay on Sunday morning in the box and that's it. So it's pretty steady now, Sundays. <laughs> so we've talked, about, we've talked about weekends, uh, race weekends. So away from that, do you still have to be on the headquarters at work? How does that work sort of away from uh, weekends on the calendar? Um, no, pretty much. Once you're once you're away from the racetrack and you're at home, you you kind of off until the next the next race weekend. Um, that's generally how it works in in Grand Prix teams because the our our team workshop is in Belgium. So for for many like me and many of the the, the team members, we're from France, um, Spain, UK. Uh, Japan even so everyone goes home and then that's it until the next race meeting then do you have any sort of like fillers in the gap that you know while you're away from from race weekends what's kind of your your routine away from that um well I have a family so I try and spend a lot of time as I can with the kids and the family other than that I cycle um just yeah just basic things I go cycling I go to the gym uh surfing play guitar so just yeah fill my time with lots of things yeah and it's still safe to say that you don't have a typical nine to five job and no. you do <laughs> a lot of traveling yeah um does this constant change of environment i mean every single time you go to a different track there are different conditions and it's a different country a different place does this have an effect on you and how do you balance your personal life with all those long weekends away or if you have a double header or even a triple header yeah well the the next the next run we've got coming up is a triple header we've got three weeks away so um we've actually in the middle or near near the end now of quite a nice little break we've had three weekends at home so yeah I've just fit in some uh, funnily enough I've actually got on a plane and, and traveled to Ireland so um I did I did a weekend in Ireland as well so yeah um yeah, the, the racetracks generally are, are pretty familiar because you go to them every year, the same ones. There's a, there's a couple this year that we were supposed to go to that um, Kazakhstan's not happening now. India still may be happening or not. But yeah, you just kind of get used to the countries you go to and it just becomes kind of second nature now. Um, so you've obviously been working um, at very high championships, very high levels. Um, there's got to be a lot of pressure. So how how difficult is it to... To, to work in such shortened time frames and just to work rapidly and quickly um it, it comes i think it comes with experience a lot of it comes with experiences to how kind of comfortable you are with that um that kind of job um i've yeah i've, I've been doing actual spanning on bikes now since 1998 in various race teams so quite a while now um, in world championships since 2016 so it's, it's a lot of experience on different machinery different uh, different teams 
you get to know the way different people work and you kind of you, you take some of that in and you, you teach other people things as well um but the pressure if you i don't know everyone kind of in in, in my team anyway the, the guys i work with everyone knows their job and there's no kind of having to second guess anyone uh in the race last time out in in france in le mans you could see the the crash sam had in the race there um and it was a big kind of it was a big job to get the bike back out for the, the second part of the race, but no one was panicking, no one was stressing, everyone knew their job and just kind of got on, did what they needed to do and unlucky we didn't get the bike back out within the, the time frame. I think they missed three seconds, but everything was on the bike and everything was fine. So yeah. That was actually our next question about Le Mans. Just crazy. I remember us seeing the crash. We were, of course, all heartbroken for Sam for this uh to happen but this repair job was just insane we were all messaging each other like how did the team get that bike so fast back together and still an incredible job to after a crash with this short time frame to get the bike running again even when your rider then has to start from the back of the grid and still finish inside the points like just crazy yeah yeah, it was kind of looking back now, I've, I've watched the videos and everything that was going on and people have sent me different kind of angles and different people taking videos and pictures and kind of when, when it was all happening, I didn't really see anything that was going on around me. I just saw the job that I had to do um, and it was the bike was a mess, you know, and I think we had five or six minutes to get the thing stripped and rebuilt without all the new parts on it and get some out and yeah it was like i say i didn't really notice the cameras i didn't know the people outside the box and you just kind of focus on your job and, and get it done as quick as you can but as, as well as you can as well so sam's got that kind of reassurance that he knows the bike's going to be okay when he goes flying into turn one again it was also great to see the teamwork between your team and the side of tony arbolino's crew to work together to get the bike back running. Is that something that does happen more often? Like, is it two completely separate crews or is it more of like two parts still working together? Uh, well, well, obviously each side of the box has their own crew to do work with their, their rider and that bike. But in situations like that, it's kind of all hands on deck. Everyone knows what they need to do. Um, myself and Anthony who work on Sam's bike uh, mainly we have kind of like the main jobs to do and then the other guys we've obviously worked with them for a long time now and we know they're capable and they'll come in and start doing things like taking body work off and getting things out of the way wheels out that kind of thing so it, it has it's not happened in kind of that bigger kind of job before but in smaller crashes in qualifying and stuff if our bike is still on track and Tony's had a little crash we'll go and help them just kind of make things a little bit easier for them so yeah everyone just kind of gets together and gets stuck in so you talk about your own crew and in a normal routine let's just say um how how, how would you split up the workload does everyone have a specific area that they work on or is it sort of you know divided at the time you know where do you guys specialize um well just talking on, on obviously Sam's side on my side there's there's only two of us that work hands-on on the bike um there's myself and, and Anthony um then we've got Gilles who's the crew chief and Adria who's the data guy who sits at the back 
Um, but actually hands-on on the bike, there's just myself and Anthony. I'll take care of pretty much the front half of the bike and Anthony will do the rear. So um, it, it's, it's kind of consistent and there's continuity there. I always do, I always do the front end settings, the front wheel, forks, handlebars, that kind of thing. And then Anthony will always do the back end. So yeah, there's always that kind of continuity there. Yeah, I mean, it is very important that you work very well together as a crew. And how important is it to also have a good personal relationship with the rider you're working with? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's important, I think, for, for everyone in the crew to, to gel together and, and work together. And um, yeah, we have quite a bit of downtime that you can see. But in the next three weeks when we go back, we're going to be spending a lot of time together. So it's important that everyone gets on together and yeah it's there's a good atmosphere there's a good atmosphere between us and tony's side of the team and then obviously there's, there's, there's more than just our side and tony's side there's there's all the people behind as well in the uh in the truck and the hospitality it's just the big team it's 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 good everyone kind of gets on and yeah it's a good atmosphere sam obviously missed quite a few races last year how does that affect you know your side of the garage and, and your work um, did you, you know, go a bit more hands-on with Tony or were you um, more acquainted to the to a replacement rider, so Senoragius last year? Yeah, no, as, as soon as Sam was kind of out of action and we got the replacement rider in straight away, we were just kind of, we, we built and prepared the bike for, for Senna, um, set everything up to make him comfortable on it. And then you just, you do exactly the same job with Senna or whoever else is riding the bike as, as you would when Sam gets there. So from our point of view, nothing really changes work-wise. We just do the same thing. Um, we just have to make sure that we give Senna the best opportunity or whoever's riding it, and then they, he can be comfortable and, and do his best uh, his best job for us and himself, So, which I think he did. I think he did quite a good job for us last year. Definitely. I mean, coming into a championship that's already going on and you're not really acquainted with the team or with the bike it was a great great achievement to be continuously making progress yeah yeah he was he's he he, he he did himself real proud and he's he i think he did he did good for us and by the end of the the, the championship he he'd even scored some points with us so yeah it was good um Currently, Alf Mark Vidias is also leading the team's championship, which is also a great achievement, considering that there are a lot of strong teams and riders on the grid. But how do you manage to make a step ahead of your competitors when everyone has the same engine and basically most of the teams have a Calex chassis as well? Um, I think this year, I think basically on paper, we've just got a really strong team. You know, um, Sam's got the experience. He's he's so fast. He's proved that this year he's had a win pole positions. Um, and Tony is just coming into that point of his career now, where he's just absolutely kind of on the next level now. He's he's, he's riding so well. He's not making mistakes. You see, he's leading the championship now. And yeah, he, he's he can he can come from the third row and win, or he can go from the first row and win. He's he's kind of at that level now, where he's just he's he's coming really good and. I think, like like I say, on paper, we've got two of the strongest riders in the championship. So we just keep consistently scoring points each weekend and hopefully, hopefully take the riders on the team championship this year.
Um, so you're obviously working in Moto2 now. You've had previous um, experience in World Superbikes, in BSB, and even in the Northwest 200. How how has it been trying to adapt to a completely different bike and in so little time, just from year to year? Um, well, the, the basic principles are all the same with, with obviously motorbikes, whether you've got a, a production bike, superbike, or a, a Moto3 Honda. Um, so I did three years with the Petronas team on the, the Moto3 Honda. So you, you start at the, the end of one season, you start doing the testing, you, you get to know the bike and within a couple of weeks you've, you've stripped and rebuilt the bike that many times it's just everything else you've it's kind of put to one side and you can just focus on that then so it's not really a big deal it's if you if i was to go onto a, a different machine next week within a few days testing you'd, you'd get to know everything about that bike and it becomes second nature for that one as well we've actually seen that you've done some well, you've been a moto vehicle and motorcycle lecturer at Derby College. How did you get into this role as doing, like working in education for a year? Um, well, that came about from the the kind of the, the head teacher, if you like, or the, the director at the college that I was learning at when I was when I left school. Um, after I'd finished my exams at college, he said to me if I ever wanted to get into the teaching side of it did always be a job for me with his teaching college. So um, I went off to work in garages for, for many years and, and I just fancied a change of speed or a change of direction. So I, I spoke to him and I got a job into um, in Derby College and I, I set up a motorcycle training course in the Derby College as well. So, yeah, it's just, it's just something different to do while I was still kind of in the early stages of my kind of racing mechanical career. Um, just helping some of the younger kids kind of with their passion as well because they wanted to learn about motorcycles so yeah I set up that course at Derby College but then I found it hard to stay away full-time from doing the racing so when the opportunity came back I just got back into the racing full-time and that's all I've been doing since. Is it more difficult to work with children or with riders? Um, <laughs> well, a lot of those riders are children, so it's the same <laughs> well, kind of mentality. True, yeah. yeah, it's um, you have to be, you have to be, yeah, like a obviously a mechanical um, situation where you work on the bike, and then sometimes you have to be like a, a psychotherapist and kind of work with their, their heads a little bit as well. But yeah, it's, it's quite similar actually. Um, so when it comes to to fans or maybe those who don't have experience in the in the mechanical field do you feel like there's any sort of preconceptions that they have when it comes to working as a mechanic or any sort of you know um any sort of uh, misled truths what the, the the fans think about the job yeah um probably they think it's all very glamorous and it's all very easy and you get to fly off around the world and but what they don't see is the the kind of the areas or the, the points of the job where you're, you're up at three o'clock in the morning to get to a, a, a an airport and then you, your flight's cancelled or delayed so you're there for another five hours and like with these back-to-back -back ones as well it's going to be a lot of traveling in between obviously we go from Mugello to Germany and then to, to Aston straight away so yeah so there's a lot of yeah, you see the bits you see on the TV are very glamorous. You've got all the, the cameras there and all the, the fanfare and everything. And 
yeah, it is. That part of it is very glamorous, but then that's only a very small part of what we actually do. All the stuff you don't see behind the scenes, all the traveling and all the, the actual work and all the preparation and everything, it's, it's, there's a lot more involved than what you just see on the TV on a Sunday. But do you also think that maybe the TV doesn't show the the the, the stress or the or the pressure or the workload that mechanics have to go through? Do they do you think they show the 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 general bits and bobs? Not really the. Um... Oh, no, they, no, they probably don't. No, they they all. I mean, all they show is what they they need to show as regarding the 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 bits on track and obviously something that happened like with Sam in in Le Mans is very kind of few and far between incidents like that. So. It's um, yeah. I mean, they'll show things like that because it's quite it's quite interesting. But generally, they'll just show you what's going on on the track, and yeah, they don't show any of the kind of setup so much. But I think now with a lot of teams with the social media, and I think they try and do their own kind of things with like little videos, little short videos of mechanics working or trucks being pulled in, the boxes being set up, just to give a little bit more of an insight into what goes on. And do you think that's beneficial for, for, for the people on the outside just to really get a feel for everything that goes on in the paddock? Yeah, yeah, because I think a lot of people are more interested in actually what goes on behind the scenes as well as rather than from just a camera kind of pointing in, in into the box and, and showing what's going on in the front there. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people I speak to anyway, they like to see what's going on behind the box wall, you know, at the back of the box and and in the truck and that kind of thing yeah i think a lot of people are interested in that um coming back to people who want to work in motorsport or who are interested in pursuing this career what do you think is the most important quality a person needs to have to actually basically survive in this environment ah that's a good question um I think that the main thing you need is is you need to have the passion to do it. You need to want to to do it, and because there are a lot of sacrifices with personal life, family, um, but then there are a lot of upsides as well. It's it's not like a the way I describe it. It's not like a normal nine to five job where you just kind of your emotions. You go to work and your emotions kind of stay pretty level all day. It's it can when it's good. It's it's the best thing in the world when you're winning races and whatever. But when it's when it's bad, it's You've got to learn to deal with those those bad times and just be able to kind of put them behind you and learn from them and, and move on. So, yeah, you need a lot of perseverance, a lot of kind of determination and a lot of passion for it. Um, you talked previously about sort of your first step into the, into a race garage, but what do you think is the easiest way to connect with people who are already working within motorsport? But who to connect with them? For for people who wish to who wish to work in motorsport or, or get into the um, well the when when I when I started out there wasn't social media or anything like this so it's now with the social media you can you can find people who work in teams you can you can message them um, just like you guys message me on Instagram about doing this is you can find people and you can you can connect with them easy so um, I actually get quite a few messages off people on various kind of platforms um facebook instagram twitter people asking me advice on how to um get into the job or how i got into it and how i could advise them and, and all i can do basically is give them my experience and and what i did to get into the job and and give them some kind of advice or 
some some areas where they can kind of help them to to achieve their their dream if they want to do it what's one piece of advice you want to share um be persistent because it's it's not an easy job to get into if it's if it's a job you want to get into it's not easy to do it it's not like you can pick up your local newspaper and there's an advert in the back there or for a, a race team motorcycle mechanic it just doesn't happen like that so you have to be prepared to put in the the, the work and the miles to to do it because um when i first moved into grand prix i had to i to, to get a meeting with one of the, the teams i was going to work for i had to basically book my own flight from the uk to spain book a hire car from the the, ho the the airport to the racetrack book a hotel meet with the guy like walk around just kind of all day just kind of waiting for him um and that was all expense off my own back so it's it's not as easy as just kind of making a phone call and getting a job you have to be prepared to put in the, the hard work to do it those were all of our main questions but we do have a couple of quick fire questions prepared for you especially we never had a mechanic on our podcast so it would be very interesting to see your point of view in these things okay so starting off with qualifying or race um race definitely did you find that's what we're there to do at the end of the day we're there for racing so qualifying <laughs> is good if you get a pole position it's it's the first step but the race is definitely where it counts would you prefer to set up on a dry or a wet race dry definitely makes sense uh corner speed or top speed corner speed Oh, interesting. A lot of riders like to say top speed. I think they just like to go fast. Yeah, I mean, in our class, like they're so evenly matched that the that you you can take five or six of the the Calix bikes from different teams, and they've pretty much all got the same aero. They've got the same engine, so they can all pretty much reach the same top speed, give or take a few miles an hour or kilometers an hour. But it's the the riders who have got the ability that make the the corner speed and make the lap time it's that's where it counts uh what's your favorite track that you've worked at or are working at, at the moment um i love to go to austin i love uh, kota the circuit's good the the atmosphere is always good um just yeah just the whole place just the whole the whole part going out second one to that is probably australia philip island just because it's a cool circuit definitely it's is I'm surprised that you picked Kota because it is a great track and it seems like the atmosphere is really booming there. But it feels like there is more work to do for mechanics than on other tracks because there are quite a yeah. few crashes. Yeah, yeah, we had well, we had our first two crashes of the year in Kota, and but one of them was quite big. We had to rebuild the bike, the other one wasn't so bad, but yeah, it's just part of the job what's your proudest career moment oh um proudest career moment probably probably it's the race wins i've had you know with the with the various riders obviously one with sam um a couple of weeks ago in hereth and that was just that was an incredible moment um that was my first win in moto two with sam um i've won in moto three with john mcphee that was good um, so yeah, anytime you get a, a race win at Grand Prix level, it's it's pretty special. So yeah, they're pretty good. 
So let's say you you move away from the mechanic box and you're actually on the bike now. Um, what bike would you want under you, and who would you want as your teammate? Um, at the minute, it's got to be the Ducati, you know, because it's, <laughs> it's the Ducati DP <laughs> bike because it's, it's an absolute weapon. Um, teammate, um, anyone, uh, probably Valentino, just because he's such a cool guy. <laughs> Bring him back, yes. Yeah. Now that we're talking about MotoGP, I'm really interested. That what's your take on the entire Honda situation? They're constantly trying new things out to improve. They've changed to a Calex chassis. What do you think do they need to get back to the top? Uh, well, that's a tough question. If I knew that, I'd be a rich person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd go and work for HRC and I'd be a very rich man, but... Um, I think the Calix thing is a is a is a big step for them. Um, I think it was a very brave step for them to to move away from their own. Um, because Calix is although they have the majority of the field of Moto too, they're only a very small team, a very small company. They're only, they're not a big company. Um, but the guys behind it are very dedicated. They're very clever. Um, and yeah, it's, I think using the, the Calyx swing arm chassis, um, I think it's a step in the right direction. Obviously, Mark makes a big difference as well, but they've, they've got some good riders on the bike. They just, um, where they've gone wrong recently, I, I, I couldn't tell you. It's, it's one of those things, but I think they're starting to get back in the right direction now. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I, I, I guess finally we'll, um, we'll put some predictions on it now. Uh, it'd be sad to it'd be sad to lose another Japanese manufacturer from the grid anyway. That would be I think that'd be bad for the championship and the sport. Yeah. So hopefully they can get it sorted and, and start going fast again. And then uh finally we'll ask uh, for your predictions. Championship winners in, in all three classes. Uh all three. Moto three. Um I don't know that Ivan Ortola kid's looking pretty fast at the minute. Yes. He's he's looking good. Um Moto two, Sam, for sure. <laughs> if not Sam Toe. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, honestly, I I think I think we can do it. I think it's gonna be one of our guys. Um I think we've got the strongest pair in the in the championship. I know Pedro's fast and there's some other guys that are fast on their day, but I think we've got the strongest too, so if we're fighting out between us for the championship, then it's, it's, it's just a good thing for us. So, one of those. Um, in MotoGP, um, I don't think you can look past Bagnaia at the minute, but Bezeki's strong, so someone on a Ducati anyway. Always difficult to rate Paco like where he's actually at at the championship because he's mm. just so so good at the last six races where he just goes off and leaves yeah. everyone else in the dust yeah well the ktms are coming good now as well so oh, i think yeah. they're starting to put up a bit of a fight it's i think since jack's there they've they've kind of turned a corner they've started mm -hmm. to get that little extra now that they needed and i think they're becoming really competitive now every weekend it's good i mean if brett binder would win the championship i'd be happy with it <laughs> it would be great to see I think everyone would be happy with that yeah, yeah. he's such a great, good guy yeah he's such a great guy those were all the questions we had prepared for today thank you so much again Stephen for joining us it's been a pleasure to have you on
you can find us on all of our socials at Deciding Lab. And we will have all of Steven's socials linked below down in the description. So make sure you will check that out as well. And we will be back with another episode next week.